Hello, Story Community. Harris here to let you know that the cost of registration for our annual conference, Story 2017, is going up soon. On March 31st, the ticket price goes up by 100 bucks. So don't miss this opportunity to learn from amazing speakers from companies like Disney, Imagineering, Cirque du Soleil, Pixar, Marvel, National Geographic, Pinterest, and so many more. And you'll get to spend two days connecting with other artists, dreamers, and storytellers. It's an amazing opportunity to hang out with your peers and leave Nashville with some lifelong friends. We're going to be at the gorgeous Skirmerhorn Symphony Hall in Nashville this September 21st to 22nd with an optional full-day add-on workshop on Wednesday, September 20th. Go to story2017.com for more information and register by March 31st before the price goes up. I can't wait to see you there. As soon as we place an expectation on what what our creativity is going to yield or provide and what it's going to do it's it's manipulation we are using the, this thing to do something else and there are like there's zero return on that the gift or the return is in the in the process of creating it's like that's it that's all you get that's all the guarantee is is that like if you're present to this and like and um, are bringing yourself fully to it. Like, chances are you're gonna like if if it's something you love, you're gonna you're gonna love it. But if you're doing it so that you can become famous or you can make a living off of it or you know X Y Z, chances are you're probably not gonna be present in the creative process, and it's not gonna be that fun. And or B, maybe it is still, but you're going to be disappointed when like those things don't happen. Or C, it does happen. Congratulations. Now you think everything is up to you. And that is equally as dangerous because it's just not. There's just so many things going on. How often do we get caught up in the end result or have a certain motive behind a project? We set some type of expectation upon it, and that can leave us disappointed. Whether it's a book deal, a future speaking gig, or even just a certain amount of likes on Instagram. As artists and storytellers, we can struggle to stay present in the journey of our art. But isn't that where the magic happens? We discuss that and more this week on The Story Podcast. There are things meant for you that are currently beyond your imagination. The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. Your greatest work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making anyway. To be a writer, we have to sit down and we have to do the work and we don't get up until it's finished. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers. This week, Kellen Robinson and I sat down for a conversation with Matt Wirtz. Matt is well known as a singer-songwriter, but I was curious how he would describe himself to a total stranger on an airplane who doesn't know who he is. I say I'm a songwriter. I try to make whatever I do sound as boring as possible so that I don't get I don't get a lot of questions about it. Which is so, which is so like Scrooge, it's like crotchety, you know? <laughs> but I, I'm like, I don't want to, I'm like, I don't want to say I'm an artist or a singer songwriter because I just don't want to like, oh, have I heard your song? Like, I mean, and even with that, have I heard your songs? I'm like, nah, you haven't heard my songs. It's like, I'm kind of like, 
I'm independent and I'm just like do everything I can to like end the conversation. Because <laughs> the thing is, especially if you're outside of Nashville, like and somebody asks you like what you do, like I'm a I'm a singer and a songwriter, I'm a recording artist or whatever. If you try if you like if you try to make what you do sound cool, I mean, that's cool. Outside of Nashville, that is like what like you're you're a unicorn, you know? So uh <laughs> people will People, if you get the right person, you know they're gonna they're gonna chat you up about it. I'm sure, dude. You know it. If you say I'm an illusionist or a magician or whatever, I don't know what the PC thing to call what you do is, but like, like people are gonna chat you up. So you gotta. I mean, you either want to do that or you don't. A self-made singer-songwriter, Matt spent years creating soulful, feel-good pop music on his own terms. He has toured the country with songwriters like Jason Mraz, Maroon 5, Parachute, and Gavin DeGraw. More than a decade into a career filled with commercial success and touring milestones, Matt remains proud to be an independent artist. But don't mistake independent music for the sort of intimate songs you'd hear at your local coffee shop. These are not acoustic guitar songs. They're songs that move you physically and emotionally. It's why we're excited to sit down with him for a conversation about art, music, his creative process, and what artists of all kinds can learn from it. He's the kind of musician who thinks deeply about creating meaningful art, and his humility and transparency is both refreshing and inspiring. But where does his story as an artist begin? I started trying to write songs when I was... um Really, the first concerted effort was my freshman year of college. I, um, you know, there's something about like, at least for me, there was something about going away to school, and I I bought my first like legit guitar. I bought a Taylor um, three twelve CE, which was the CE stands for Cutaway um, Electronic or Electric. So it's got the you can plug it in, you know, but it's an acoustic guitar. And um, I'd been playing guitar since I was 15, and so you know, three years later, I, I I'd sold. I'd I had two lesser guitars. I sold them, used the money, put some more towards it, and I bought this Taylor. And you know, there was just something about playing an E chord on a good guitar that like immediately was inspiring. And then you combine that with just the life stage thing of being you know, uh, in an, everything's new, you know, and, and your world's kind of like turned upside down. You're trying to figure out who you want to be without your parents, you know, kind of like watchful eye. And so, um, I think there was a couple people on my dorm floor who were like trying to write songs together and they like invited me in to like write a song with them. And I like, and I did. And then I think I just kind of like kept doing that. And, and a big thing for me was the summer after that freshman year of college, I went on and worked at a Young Life camp in Colorado. And it was like this, There, it was just kind of like this incubator. I brought my guitar. I had some opportunities to like lead music, lead worship kind of stuff. And then also I was like writing songs. And then there were like all these other college kids and high school kids that were there working that like, I was the guy that wrote songs and was trying to sing. And so I would like, people would listen to me. And I ended up recording this little um, tape, 
yes. on the on the um, soundboard in the in the club room, and it was awful. But I sold them. I sold cassette tapes. I dubbed. I don't even know how that worked, but I like somehow I I figured out how to dub tapes and make you know tape inserts and got them distributed like sold them to people at camp it was and that was kind of like from then i was like it, it it was like i got i got the bug because for me it's like it it was this like oh my gosh you guys like this like this works you know like i do this and you guys come and listen and say like play more and so i was like man i felt like i had found like the magic ticket to like acceptance and mm. love, you know? <laughs> and so really I've just been like riding that train and realizing like, you know, at some point, you know, it stops working. You realize like, Oh, like, you know, you, you there's, there's like the ascent of like, especially with my career, I feel like I probably like, you know, there was a point where, things stopped moving up, you know, where it's like things aren't building any, like, like I don't have as many, not selling as much on iTunes or whatever. And you realize like, ah, uh, if I keep like this, I can't really keep, uh, approaching this. Like I have been because I've got, to, I've got to really separate my like identity and who I am from what I'm doing here because it's like not working anymore, you know? And, uh, the sooner I figure out how to like that I'm not that like who I am isn't like an artist or whatever this guy, the the better for me because it is something that I do. But like if my, if my self-worth is like hinged on that, I am in trouble because it's just not, there's just no guarantees there. Yeah, I think a lot of artists have that struggle of separating who they are from their art. Is there something that you haven't released because you feel like you're too attached to it? Like, is there like a fear there? Yeah, yeah. But I would say I don't struggle with that as much as some of my friends have. Mm -hmm. um, I have, like, I've got friends who will, like, you know, write and record whole records and they won't ever see the light of day and, or they'll like redo them multiple times or, you know, and I, and like, and to some degree, I mean, it, some of that, it could just be like, man, that's awesome. Like pursuing excellence. And, but there's also a thing of like, okay, there's just gotta be a time where, you know, like when to say when, like that, like I could literally be working on this forever, you know? Um, but I think the hardest thing for me, it, you, it, it, I draw the line even further back, and it's more in the in the creation process. And the editor will like come in the room too soon, and it's like, mm. ah, you can't say that, not yet. You know, like, what's mom gonna think of that? You know, like, what are, what like what are my like what are my evangelical like fans gonna think of that? Like, if I, if I like say something that's like that might challenge like some of um, yeah, just kind of commonly assumed beliefs or whatever. Sure. And so I feel like that's more when I, when I, when I edit, when the, and like kind of fear comes in than it is like I was free and I wrote this thing and now I'm scared to put it yeah. out. You know, I wish I, I wish <laughs> I had more of that because that means that I was, that, 
the creative process, I was more free in the creative process, but. So in the creative process, do you prefer to write alone or do you like co-writes better? I like writing with people because I can hide more. Ah. No, I mean, <laughs> like that's the honest answer. <laughs> uh, I do like working with people though because it helps me like get things done. Mm. I would leave, I, I would leave a lot undone. I'm, uh, I get excited about new things and I lose interest quickly. Uh, I, I have a lot of like self doubt on whether any like something that I come up on my own in a vacuum is any good. And so like, I, I like working I actually love working in three in a team of three because there's like this checks and balances thing. And it's really nice to be able to kind of know like, yeah, I mean, that's the best melody because two, like we, we either were like all three in agreement or like two out of the three of us were like into that. And that goes for if, if I'm the, if I'm the odd man out, I'm like, okay, I trust, I trust you guys. Like I'm out. And, and like, let's let's move forward and it helps it helps move things forward now from a lyrical standpoint i think maybe like an ideal situation for me is being able to work on verses on my own because in a verse i can really like have fun playing with if i come in with a song title idea of my own and usually that's kind of can be a creative thing and then get to work on verse lyric on my own i feel like that's kind of an ideal situation but then have people to bounce melodic and musical ideas off of and that kind of like really helps strengthen you know where i feel like uh, where i where i second guess myself does that mean you have a bunch of unfinished songs that have i yet do to be you know you know it's funny that you should say that I, I was i was on the phone with my um with my manager and then um, a friend of mine that we've hired to help with just some like, basically we want to be smarter about my email list. And um, we are launching uh, a really cool thing called Words in Progress. Get I it? I see what you did there. Um, <laughs> and every week we're going to send out uh, an unreleased rare song whether it's like love that a work tape of a song that you've heard of or a song that's never been released before um if you sign up for my, e my email list it will you, you'll get it in your inbox and there'll be like a short little explanation of what this is and um giving some insight into the progress or the process um of of my creative process <laughs> allow myself to introduce myself uh, so yeah that's um there are a lot of not not and as i was going through my hard drive like finding songs for this um you know there's some that like gosh that, like i'm just missing a bridge like like what's the deal like this is awesome you know and yeah. or you know um just and then some songs that are like totally done that just didn't fit on whatever project I was putting out at that time, you know, for whatever reason. And I don't know, it's been fun. I kind of have like a little, not an ulterior motive, but there's, there's, there's like a little like asterisk kind of in my brain that I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to see how this thing all plays out and see if people like it. And then 
there may be like kind of a a little addendum to it yeah. at the end of at the end of the year. So yeah, stay tuned. That's awesome. <laughs> so if some of those songs are old, then they've been around for Dude, years. Some probably. of them are like yeah. I mean, I, I got as old as like there's there's a song from my college band um, that we recorded in like 99 that was on a record that we put out my college band is called Damascus Road um, because we were all like into this band Cademan's Call and then like Jars of Clay all these like Christian kind of like Christians who were like making music that didn't necessarily that wasn't necessarily like everything's awesome all the time you should join our (laughs) club you know I was really I was really like drawn to people Christians who were being real you know still am uh but especially in music at the time it felt like super fresh and so Jars and Cademan's who was like still kind of super underground there are all these like really random kind of like obscure references you know in scripture so I was like Damascus Road you know (laughs) and my friend Barnes actually had a college band called uh Fishers of Men you know so like we when we met we like compared notes like he no, people that? Ne- neither neither one <laughs> neither one is public. It is now, but you can't find, you can't find the music anywhere oh, unless oh, you like know somebody. But the fact that Barnes had a band called Fishers of Men. Fishers of Men. He played drums in it. What? He was the drummer in Fishers of Men. Yeah. What's your favorite song that you've ever written? <sighs> Man, I'm so bad at superlatives. I I think. Uh, I have I have like different I have like this is my favorite lyric I've ever written and I think for a long time I would say that, that I have a song called Falling Off the Face of the Earth that I like I think at the time was like I felt like it was the best thing that I'd ever written. It's it's the last song um on my record Twenty Three Places, which which was like a vehicle that like that that record was kind of like around like it, it was around when I was like coming up, you know, and it, it spread, it helped, it helped spread the word about my, about me really well. But then, um, I go back and listen to, there's a song called Leland Lane that was on a EP. Um, and I, I made a lot of that EP with, with Thad Cockrell. We wrote a lot of it together. And, um, and I go back and listen to that lyric and I'm like, that is, which I, that lyric is, feels way better than me like and but I also know that I wrote that lyric you know and so there was something about that song too that feels like transcendent and I'm like dude that is I love that I mean it reads it just reads so poetically and you know it's probably like my least you know listened to song on Spotify but personally it I really love it. And then what's your favorite line from that song? There, there is a line on the sec, the second verse says, um, me, the familiar thief earning my peasants keep, um, taking all I could grab. Oh, what the lonely demands, um, onward the ships I sail in search of the lonely, of a lonely light. But on your uncharted seas, you've hid your shoreline from me. Some places I'll never reach. And I just got goosebumps. And I'm like, what? I mean, and granted, this was like coming off of the like 
off of a relationship where I just felt like I like we just couldn't like I I felt like we like kind of like hit walls like from a intimacy level. It's like I felt like there was we just couldn't get further. We couldn't get as close as I like wanted to, you know. And so that's that like perfectly kind of you know poetically communicated what I was feeling. So I love that one. On my new record, um, there's a song called Unexpected Love that is just so fun. And I found that a lot of times the first time I write with a new person or new people, if it's going to work, it usually works the best the first time. There's something about that like newness and everybody bringing their a game and kind of a little bit on edge of like we all want this to go well and that was the first song that i'd written with um a couple of guys in in la seth and cam and um it was awesome it just kind of set the tone for for the right we ended up we ended up doing five songs together on my most recent record and um that first one was a highlight for me what have you learned from that kind of creative process that that idea of collaborating that you feel like artists who work in other disciplines and mediums can learn from. Mm. Have you ever looked outside the music industry at other artists and asked yourself, why don't, why don't they collaborate more? That's a good question. I haven't, but I'll just, I'll just zero in on what I've learned and then maybe it's like transferable. Um, It's scary. First of all, because you, you know, you want to like, you're hoping that you're not the guy in the room that like doesn't have anything to offer, you know? So there's a sense of, you know, there's a sense of like, ah, I hope that like, I hope it works today. You know, I hope that like whatever thing that has shown up before shows up today because, um, and then also you realize that, um, to, that, Oftentimes it will, and you can trust the process, which, which I know if you work on your own, you can experience the same thing. Um, I like, I like the, um, the kind of, um, what do you, what do you call it? The give and take, the spontaneity, the improvness of working with other people, because like, if you put this thing out there, then, oh, that makes me think that, okay, that totally like shifts my, and to me, it op- it's opened up worlds like musical, musical worlds that like <laughs> I wouldn't have normally uh, like ventured into. And so I think if I were left to my own thing, I would still, you know, just get out the acoustic guitar and which some, some people, some of my fans would be like, good, we want that. You know, like, why'd you ever put the guitar down? You know? Um, and, but like, I think just from a creative standpoint, you know, you try to, to distill down, like, what is it that I'm good at? You know? And it might like songwriting is too broad. It's like, no, like there's something about, maybe it's like, something about the way that I, that I say something, or maybe it's just like melodically, I have like interesting melodies or like, you know, I've, I found, I found interesting ways to say things or, you know, 
if you're a photographer, it might be like the way that you frame shots or, you know, or like the way that you, uh, the way you like process or edit that's like really signature, you know, but you think about it and you're like, but I'm like not as good at like, like, I don't know what, whatever it is. I'm like, I'm like not as good with this thing. It's like, well, what if you like, what if you got somebody who's really good at that thing? And then you're really good and you can make something really cool together. But again, I'm like an extroverted like person and someone who is more introverted and more of like the like two in the morning songwriter. Uh, it's not necessarily like the thing, but my experience has been one where I, f I feel like the quality of my music has been improved upon by collaborating. There is also though, like the caveat is I, I have to continue to write by myself in order to remember that I can, you know, and maybe what I, what I bring. And it's like, it is, it's like life giving to me too, but it's also scarier because there's no one else to like prop you up or help if like nothing's coming, you know? So it's, it's a little bit, there's, there's positives and negatives to both, I, I guess. In our conversation earlier, you were talking, you said something interesting. You said that you don't, you don't have to write to live. No. When you were saying that in our conversation, what did you, what do you mean by that? I mean, like, cause a lot of artists, especially some of the ones listening to our conversation right now, they'd be like, Oh, I can't go on unless I, yeah. If I stop painting, I feel like I would die. Man, I envy you if that's how you are. <laughs> because because I'm like I feel sometimes like I'm like a like I'm a cheat or something, like or like I'm a hack uh, or almost like I'm just yeah, I I'm like kind of just getting in on on this so that I'm like using it for something. I'm using like creativity to serve another purpose, you know, which is like, in essence, I guess it's for part of it is for entertainment and part of it's for like enterprise. Like I like, and, and, and then also the other creative, um, kind of outlets that are opened up. Like, what do you do about like about album packaging and branding and, and that kind of thing? And like, I love that stuff. So to me, it's like, I write the songs, I work on this music so that I have a product I get to to like design and release and like I like the process of like the strategy behind that stuff and then I like to I like to perform and I like the fact that it's kind of like if it does well, like if it does well or doesn't do well, it's kind of like on me, you know. There's like I like the entrepreneurial sure. component mm -hmm. of it. So yeah, I mean, if it wasn't music, it would I would probably, you know, try to figure out like some kind of piece of clothing I was gonna design and and you know, create a label or I would I would I, I studied um, industrial design in college, which is product design. And I went to the University of Illinois and I love objects. I love the thought that you can change someone's life the quality of someone's life by the thing you put in their hands or like on their head or or like whatever um or 
what they sit in, you know? And so if it wasn't music, I, there would probably be some, something that I would, that I would probably try to, you know, build a business around like designing and, and releasing. Love it. One of the reasons I wanted to sit down and have you on the show is, you know, we, we're going to be talking a lot about the role of curiosity in the creative process over uh -huh. the next six months or so because of our theme at Story 2017. So knowing that we're going to have a two-day conversation about that idea, what what role does curiosity play, and how can we allow our curiosity to be greater than our fear, so that we are, have the ability to take the risks that we need to take in creating art and telling stories. You've been doing this little podcast called the curiosity habit. Yeah. The curiosity habit. So what have you learned from those conversations about curiosity? You know, so what I, I think the curiosity part is more on my end, right? So like, I'm not necessarily talking to people about curiosity, but you've been putting it into practice, right? It's, it's, that's what yeah. it is. It's, yeah. it's putting it into practice. And, and the thing is I do that all the time and realize that I should record it, you know, because, um, somebody might think it's interesting. And I, a lot of times when I'm, when I'm digging in and asking people questions, I'm realizing like, this is crazy. You know, <laughs> like how is this a thing? You know, like that there's, I, I don't know, whatever it is that this, that there is this whole world that like exists that I'm just now finding out about because of this person. And like, you know, and I can tell you, it's 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 everything from I remember I remember when I like walked into um, Imogene and Willie. Well, they, so there's this denim store in Nashville called Imogene and Willie. I think they opened up in 2008, and um, I remember just the, you know I would be like walking around like what are they doing with that old you know service station like oh it looks pretty cool and like and then like at one point. Um, I got like these two random people like came up to me and commented on my, on my jeans at, at, at freaking, um, five guys. And I was like, cool, thanks. You know, like they noticed my jeans and I've come to find out it's like the people who are opening up Matt and Carrie who opened up Imogene Willie. And, and I, um, you know, for the next few months, probably just annoyed the crap out of them because I would just go in. I was like, what is like, tell me about why denim like what is going on i didn't know that there was like this whole underworld of denim and what's wh why is your denim 250 like why are these jeans 250 dollars and like those jeans are 30 dollars you know and like what tell more you know and, and just I, i'm just i just want to know you know so <laughs> that that kind of is you know, it's that kind of spirit. So, I mean, as far as like what I've learned about it is, um, a lot of times maybe it's just being, you know, present with people to really just be, you know, there in the conversation. And it's hard to be curious about, about people or whatever, if you're like distracted. So, um, does that mean that distraction is the enemy of curiosity, or at least one of them? I guess it it could be. I, I I haven't thought anything about that, but I think in terms of like just even presence with people, 
you know, if you're, if you're talking about, if I'm like curious about, you know, you and what you do, it's like, um, it's important that I'm just like present to the, I'm, I'm like present in the room and like to the conversation and like even to the point of like, you know, what I can get, you know, several questions in my head ahead, you know, and it's like, and I've, I've, I've run into that some with the podcast where like, I'm trying to, th- I'm like trying to think oh, something will come like, oh, it's good, you know, and I'm trying to figure out like when to interject or how, and I'm like not, I'm not present and listening, you know, so that's, I'm still like trying to learn how to, to trans, like to, to transfer like my curiosity that like in life to tape, you know, like how do you do that? on an interview, um, how do you, how does that work? You know, because if I'm like, if I walk into some shop and find somebody who like collects this one, the little random object, you know, and like, it's easy for me to sit there and talk to them about that all day long, but I'm also like not concerned with like how listenable it's going to be, you know? So I think that's, that's something, but I'm, I'm like not afraid to ask questions. That's another thing. You just can't, you can't be afraid to look stupid. You know, like you just, you can't take yourself too seriously if you want to like learn in life, you know, because I just think, and the, and the trouble is you can definitely like, sure. You can like learn a lot on the internet, you know, um, you can learn everything you want to know about anything on the internet and, and like, but that's like also like a very solitary like life, you know? I would rather just talk to people because I don't know. Like I feel less alone when I talk to people. And so I would rather I would rather like have like f- have questions answered by real people than a computer screen. Yeah. I I try to get as much I try to get some like background obviously done so that, you know, if it, with a podcast scenario, yeah. Um, so that I don't go in like not knowing who I'm talking to or whatever, but so I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah. You, it's interesting cause you said you have to not be afraid to look stupid and you gotta be willing to just put stuff out there. And yet you've been pretty selective about the kind of projects that you release. Yeah. How do you justify those two things? In Man, your like I said from the beginning, I, I mean, do as I say, not as I do. I, like <laughs> a lot of the times, the things I talk about are the things that I'm like aspiring to be, you know, who I, who I want to be. And, you know, if there's anybody out there who doesn't feel like conflicted about like everything that they think about everything, I would love to meet them uh, because I just feel like, you know, we are we are like all by nature very schizophrenic uh, people, and for better or worse, um, for better or worse, uh, <laughs> well played. Thank you. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's the second pun on my name. Uh, just if we're if we're keeping, keeping score at home, uh, there, we my, have uh, words in progress for better or worse. My goal for you is th- at least three more by the time we're done oh, with this wow. conversation. Okay, okay. See if you can do it. The worst case scenario. Okay, there's oh, number yeah. three. Two more. Um, but but in terms of like what, how I've been like selective about what I've put out, I, I think 
has a lot to do with your self-worth, probably. My self-worth, <laughs> very much. Okay, can we count that as one of mine? No, that one's gone. Oh, man. Okay, so I, I think for me, because it's got my name on it, I feel like everything I put out, um, yeah, it's like has to has to be something that I feel like represents who I am as a person well, you know, because I still have an ego and I still care how I'm perceived uh, in the world, you know. Um, and so, you know, I, I want to, I want to make sure that, that like what I put out there is, um, feels in line with, with who I at least want to be. Who do you <laughs> perceived want to be perceived as? as? I want to be perceived as like someone who, um, like if we're talking musically, I want to be perceived as someone who um, does take risks and who is um, who is kind of like subservient to no one, but also like, but also consider considerate to like like not forgetting you like as far as my fans are concerned i'm like like i'm th- i'm thinking about you as a as a fan but i'm also like doing what i need to do to like stay interested you know so i think the you know i've had um in recent years a little more freedom in just like my creative process with like what i wanted to put out and like you know if you look at what i released in 01 which is my first my first project it was like a you know, a guitar acoustic guitar based kind of singer songwriter record you know, um, all like live instruments and and very you know it, it was it was probably you know like more better than Ezra than you know anything, and then, um, and then as I've as I've gone you know I've take I feel like I've taken risks you know artistically and I I would like to be known as someone who is like willing to risk it for the biscuit. But the, we- <laughs> the, the weird thing about that is the, the, the irony of it all is like, it all feels very calculated. Like it all feels very calculated risk wise for me. It's like, I'm not, I'm also not so, um, like, uh, I, I have a healthy amount of fear, you know? So, like my last record, Gunshy, is like it's like my 1989, my Taylor Swift 1989 record, right? So it's like go to L.A., make a pop record, <laughs> um, and but I also like and so for some people that could be like whoa, you know, like big risk, big big departure. And I'm like, yeah, to to a degree, but I'm also thinking like this is closer to what people are listening to every day on the radio than like third eye blind or, you know, uh, uh, or Matt, whatever I was, John Mayer from circa like 2003 or whatever. So like, it's kind of like, Hey, let's just like bring the production level up to what's like happening right now. And I also feel like there's been like, I, I don't know if we were on tape when we were, we were talking about this, but in my career, I feel like 2007 or eight might have been like when the uh, when like the ascending, you know, and like the building of my career might have like 
plateaued and um I feel and and it probably like going down the other side of the hill at this point. So there's a part of me that feels like, man, what do I have to lose? You know, like like the people that started out with me are like having babies and are like working and have real lives, and they're not like in college and free to like come see me play on a Tuesday night at 10 p.m. anymore. You know, and they're like they're not. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a different. My my fans are older and doing life, and it's not like they like hate my music anymore. They just like love their kids and love you know not having to you know being able to provide and they're doing other things. So I felt more freedom then creatively than I did. Let's say like after my album Twenty Three Places early in my career, that was like really that that was like did a lot for me. I had so much fear making that this the follow up to that record because I I felt like I was I had I had acquired something that I could lose and I was so afraid to lose it and it took me honestly a couple of re- like a few records like I was still afraid to lose it you know um, and the secret is you're gonna lose it everybody's gonna lose it like it's it's just it's not it's not going to be there forever you know even the person that's like having the greatest rise to fame or whatever it's just not going to stick around and you could you know and so i think i who was i oh it was it was that um it was that magic lessons podcast that elizabeth gilbert does and she was talking to Brene brown and they said something that confirmed a thought that i'd heard a couple years ago that i'm just like it was good it was a good reminder which is like our creativity cannot be as soon as we place an expectation on what what our creativity is going to yield or provide and what it's going to do it's it's manipulation like we are using we are using the this thing to do something else and there are like there's zero return on that you know the get the 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 gift or the return is in the in the process of creating it's like that's it that's all you get that's all the guarantee is is that like if you're present to this and like and um are bringing yourself fully to it like chances are you're gonna like if if it's something you love you're gonna you're gonna love it but if you're doing it so that you can become famous or you can make a living off of it or you know xyz chances are you're probably not going to be present in the creative process and it's not going to be that fun and or b maybe it is still but you're going to be disappointed when like those things don't happen or c it does happen congratulations now you think everything is up to you and that is equally as dangerous because it's just not there's just so many things going on How do you balance the taking of risks and putting yourself out there with that that thing you talked about earlier? Because you're the you're also the kind of guy who's not just an artist; you're an entrepreneur. There's right. a there's a commerce side to you that understands the creative industry and how it works. So, how do you not just fall into the trap of I'm going to put out what I know will sell? And uh, how do you live in this town, Nashville, and survive? being surrounded by the people who 
manufacture what they know is going to sell rather than be true to the art that needs to flow out of it. Well, I'm not going to even pretend that, like, I am, that, you know, I've got that figured out. I don't know. Because the truth is, like, I've been conditioned over the last 15 years to, regardless, whether I like it or not, like, I'm writing commercial music. And I, I... I liked commercial music before, or pop, popular music before I got to town. But I think being here, and that was part of the reason why I needed to go make my last record in Los Angeles was because there's certain rules in Nashville for, for songwriting. And I just, I didn't come in to Nashville like, like following any rules, but then I slowly over time was like found myself like, I'm doing that thing. My, my music was starting to sound more and more country the longer I was here. I was like, <laughs> I don't even like country music. I mean, sometimes I do. Like for for like two months of the year, I like country music, and it's like in the summertime. And but like, I I needed to I needed to like shake it up a little bit. And so, um, but I don't know. I mean, I I think. I'm looking for suggestions there, you know. I'm looking for like, hey, try this because I, um, I would really love at least in the creative process, at least at least in the like making stuff, you know. If I can, if I can be free in making stuff, and then later have the conversation of like, do we put this out? Do we put it out under my name? Do we make up another name and put it out under that? You know, like, <laughs> like there's at least the at least I was able to like make it. You know, um, I think the problem is for me is like that editor, that critical, you know, voice is there too soon, and I may not even go there just because I'm like this is I wouldn't I wouldn't put this out as as Matt Wirtz or whatever. So like I'm not going to do this, but like. You know, sometimes you just gotta like. Sometimes you just gotta rec- write a, a '90s R&B song, you know, or or, <laughs> or you got a freestyle rap over something, and like you just gotta do it. And I would hope that um, that e- even like just with co- like who you choose to collaborate with, that there's like people who have that kind of like who are also encouraging that sense of like anything can happen. You know, let's just throw it all out the window. But as soon as I come in with like, I need this kind of song, whatever, it's just, you know, you're kind of stifling what could happen. So I, but I'm saying all that and saying, I'm not good at that. You know, I I need help. And so I might even be one of those situations where you like ask people who are better at that, or even from a different genre musically, you like work with them because just naturally it's going to pull you out of your, out of your world. So maybe there's something you can help me understand, knowing that there are a lot of people out there not taking risks. They fall on the complete commercial side of the spectrum. And this applies to, I think, every discipline, because there's a lot of photographers listening right now that are ridiculously sick, talented, Uh and they're looking at other images on the internet or social media feeds on Instagram, and they're going, gosh, that stuff's not even good, and why is it so huge? And there are filmmakers out there that are constantly whining and complaining about all the horrible movies they saw in the movie theater. And they're like, how did they get so much money to make that? And people are raving about it and it's not good. Every day there are songs played on the radio that suck. It's, it's bad art. Right. But yet for some reason it's on the radio 
not only is it on the radio, but they sell millions of copies of it. Why is it that so much bad art exists and is so commercial? I want, I want to understand why is America so willing to pay for things that they don't, maybe they just don't understand as bad. Why do we support so much bad art? Why don't we champion the better storytellers who create great art? And two, what do you tell the person who's frustrated because they're like, gosh, how come America's celebrating this instead of my stuff and we know it's great? Yeah, I don't know. But I, I know that like... It's you can't seen, say I don't know. That answer doesn't work for me. It doesn't work. <laughs> uh. Okay, okay. I I've no I've noticed that my like one of my like default space filler things that I say like instead of um which I'm sure I say that a lot too is I don't know I just or like I'll say I don't know after I after I say something that I'm like really passionate about I'll say I don't know and it totally takes the power away from it it's like <laughs> just freaking don't say I don't know <laughs> it's like it's okay it's almost like I'm like. I'm like, you know, driving this thing home, like, but probably not, you know, it's like, <laughs> ah, you're like, what, what are you doing? Uh, so why is there so much bad art in the world? I mean, first of all, I guess it's like, there's one question, I guess my, like, my devil's advocate would, would say like, who gets to decide what's good art? And as soon as like, as soon as you do that, it's like there is, it, it, there is, it's just a setup for, it's a setup for resentment because now this, like, one person is, like, I'm taking it on myself to judge the art world and say what is good and what is bad. Meanwhile, there's billions of other people who, you know, this does not affect. And the only person that that is going to be miserable for is me. And, like, I just, like, granted, I can turn on the radio and hear a song and be like, man, I do not understand why that's on the radio. <laughs> uh but I also understand how the business works and realize that that's probably on the radio because there's a record company that's like very heavily invested and they've like leaned really, you know, they're like, uh, this, 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 and this, that's why it's on the radio. Um, and I think what the, what it really is quite the thing is being said is like, it's not fair. It's like, it's not fair that that's on the radio. And like my song isn't on the radio. And then I would just say like, who, what, like whoever promised that my song was going to be on the radio was, is that what this is about? Like, is that, is it like, was the, did somebody tell me, was there some kind of like, if I make good art, it's going to, everybody's going to like it if I do, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Who, like, where's that? Mm -hmm. Is it entitlement? Yeah, it's entitlement. It's like, dude, the gift is that you made great art. And if, and if it's great, if it's as great as you think it is, then like, 
then maybe other people, like then you, then people will tell you that it's great. And like, that's a gift. But like, you know, it's, there, there's just, I can't, I can't get into the conversation about like, why is there bad art? Why is there good art? But I can, it's, I think what I have the power to control is like what I'm doing with the information that's coming in because, you know, like the, the commerce and the world is going to do what it's going to do. And I, the only thing I can control barely is how I, what I, how, what I, how I react, you know, and do I, and I'm, and I'm a pretty critical person, you know, and I, and I don't like that about myself. It's, it's like, it's, it's not something that I like that I, I, ha, I see that I see the debt, I see the, the, deficiency in it more than I see like the benefits of it. I, I realize that there's good things about my, my sensitivity to detail and whatever, but, um, there is, I, I yeah, I, do, I feel like when it comes to if, if like, if somebody that I know like puts out a, a song or a record that I like don't get the knee jerk is to think, why are people, you know, if people are liking it or whatever, like, why, like, why are people liking this? Or like, what? And it's like, man, you know, how about just like celebrating the fact that like somebody put it out and just maybe surrendering to like not being able to figure everything out, you know? And then it's just like you do your own work, do your work. And then if, you know, if, if like, if the, all the comparison and, and all that stuff is like, eaten away at you like there might be some ways to kind of like create some boundaries between you and everybody else's images or everybody else's songs and so that you can just focus on what you do you know get rid of instagram but i but i am i am a work in in i'm a words in progress it's <laughs> <laughs> four yeah um so speaking of what are you working on now so I am working on, um, it's like a lot of businessy stuff. I'm like working on, you know, kind of, um, this words in progress thing, which by the time this comes out is, is live. Um, and so we've done, been doing a lot of that and just basically like using this year to kind of like, Hey, how can we just serve the people who, you know, I have the ear of how, how, how can we like, how, how can I just like give them things that, that are valuable and that would like just keep them engaged because it's not realistic that I'm going to be able to like with, with the level of intent that I want to put into making records, I'm not going to be able to do that like every year or even every two years. So, so in, in the, in the interim, you know, just like finding ways to like, engage people. So I'm doing that. Um, and then there's some other like recording type things that are like, I've, I've wanted to, um, do some like alternate versions of songs from my most recent record. Um, and so I'm trying to figure out, you know, right now, like what's the best way to approach that. And, um, so every year at Christmas time I do, I open up this web store called the snow globe shop and it's all like 
items and like objects that I've like collaborated with people to, to create. And I have a, my Christmas album is called snow globe. So it's kind of like a, it's kind of built on that around, you know, holiday season and gifts that like may or may not be like associated with me, but I've had some kind of creative input too. So I'm wanting to get started on that a little earlier this year because it, like without fail, it's like October and I'm like, Oh shoot, what are we going to do for the snow globe shop this year? And it's like, you just end up being limited at that point because you're trying to like, you're trying to throw it together. So, um, yeah, just, and even just seeing, okay, could we, could we be doing products like this that aren't necessarily like holiday related, like in the middle of the year, you know, like, could you just keep, keep making stuff, you know, keep, yeah. keep just collaborating and, and it, I like the idea of being, you asked me who I want to be known as. I think I like the idea of being known as like a creative person and um, who's kind of like, who does music as well as like these other things. Um, And so I've kind of enjoyed opportunities to like expand the perception of, you know, what I, what I do. I love all the stuff you're doing. It, I think it's a great reminder to all of us because so many artists are, we're constantly busy thinking about how do I grow my fan base or how do I find new clients or ever. And it's like, don't, don't forget about all the people that are currently supporting you and have been following you all along. I like know. continue to serve them too. But you're so, we're all so desperate to find the new people. I know. Forget about the ones we already have. It's, it's, it's a big, it's a big, uh, mirage, you know, you think, you think that the, the promise of new people is like, that's where it's going to be. And it's like, man, smart money is invested in, you know, just making sure that people who have supported you before know that you have something new, you know? Yeah. Because they're probably a little bit easier to reach. Uh, and you kind of already know that, that there's at least a, a baseline awareness of your work and, uh, and they, they like it. So, yeah. Do you feel like you're a storyteller? I feel like I'm a pretty crappy storyteller, but aren't our musicians really just telling a story? Isn't that what their yeah, songs are? I guess so. Some, I feel like some are there. I guess I think there are some songwriters who are, who are way more storyteller, you know, um, I can, I can tell a story. Uh, you know, on occasion, but I, I feel like I think about it in like real life scenarios. And I think I'm like, I'm like not a great storyteller. I just, I, I feel like I get bored in the middle of that story. Um, but all right. But would, would you suggest that like, we're all storytellers? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I don't know that every artist is a storyteller, but I think all, all artists in general through their collective body of work, they're all telling a story about yeah. themselves and how they see the world, whether it's intentional or not, or whether it's the one that they're trying to tell or not. Yeah. Every space tells a story. Every song tells a story. Every painting tells a story. And I think a lot of people, they get caught up in some antics and they think, well, that painting is just a bunch of these colors kind of in this modern way. I don't know that it's really trying to tell you a story. Right. Maybe not a once upon a time there was a house in the forest. Right. Because it's not a painting of a house in the forest, but that art tells me something about you and 
what you stand for and how you see the world or what you take as, or even what you consider good or bad art to be. Right. right. So there's a narrative in and through everything. So I would say you're absolutely a storyteller. Yeah. Even if you don't think every song is a literal, here's a story with a beginning and a middle and an end. And I mean, how that's, that's great. And I, I think it, it is so interesting to think about the story that is true versus the story that we want people to know. And like, there's a band that I won't mention the name of that had a crew out to do a documentary about them. And, and they were very, this is all secondhand. So I don't know, like, whatever, but I'm not naming any names, so it doesn't matter. But like the, the <laughs> idea is, is that um, the whole time they were very, very specific about not wanting to be seen as a Christian band, you know? And it was like very, like there was, it was pretty heavy handed in terms of like what was going to make, what was going to, like what they wanted to communicate. And I remember talking to whoever was making the film. I can't even remember who it was now, but there's like, man, the, the, like what we edited and what we gave them versus like what the story actually was like the, the actual story was way more fascinating because here's, here's a group of guys who's like desperately trying to like not be something. And like, it's like the story of th that, like that's intriguing. Sure. But what we gave them was just kind of like, kind of benign, you know? Totally. And and that's the thing. It's like, what is it about like what's true that feels not exciting or even like shameful? It's like that we have to like try to control what's going out. It's like, you know, maybe the story is like, man, I am really insecure and like it, like it's really, it's like having people uh, cheer for me makes me feel good. And sure. I, and like I first experienced that when I was 14 and like, and I just got, and, and like, and now I'm like addicted to that. And like, so I do whatever I can to keep getting that drug. That's, I mean, that's probably a very real story. Totally. You know? Yeah. And, um, stories aren't interesting without conflict. And most of us try so hard to hide the conflict. Yeah. Or the trials or the difficult, messy parts. And that's what makes for a very uninteresting story. So it's, it's, what's funny is we're like, we're like, oh, I want my story to be amazing. So therefore we hide these certain things. We're hiding the very things that make the story amazing. Isn't that? And then people can't relate to it because yeah. it's too polished and yeah. I think you knit it on the head when you said shameful because I think that's what it comes down to is this sense of shame that we all feel. And Absolutely. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's so, it is, that is like really good. It's really good. And I, I, I guess I don't know how to, how to push away the the darkness there other than um for people just to like to take the risk to be known and for like to tell the real story and there are groups of there are people who who do that and I, I think what happens is people who people who do that attract other people who want to do that 
and um, and the gift then becomes the gift that comes from the pain, the, the conflict ends up being that like it's it's awakening more people. It's it's freeing other people. You know, like your your vulnerability is setting other is like allowing other people to be vulnerable. You know, and that's the that's kind of like and that's connection and intimacy and what we're all kind of going for anyway. You guys just got to remind yourself where your self words come from. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, man. I think he might be winning now. Never has a wiser word been spoken. <laughs> That's awesome. I love how transparent Matt is with who he is, where he's been, and where he hopes to be. I think that as artists, we can all relate with the struggle of finding the balance between our identity and our art, and even discovering the why of why we create. I'm excited to see what's next for Matt. If you've never heard his music, give it a listen. Uh, Don't let the fun melodies and the upbeat rhythms distract you from the poetic lyrics. If you want to sign up for his latest project, Wirtz in Progress, you can follow him on Instagram or Twitter. It's just at Matt and you'll find all the information there. Or you can simply go to MattWertz.com to learn more. That's Matt, W-E-R-T-Z.com. I am Harris III, and as always, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Uh, I hope you guys are enjoying the show. If you have any comments or feedback, please email me. You can do that personally at harris at historia.com. That's H-A-R-R-I-S at I-S-T-O-R-I-A dot com. And if you're enjoying the podcast lately and some of the new formats and production value, please take a moment to rate or review on iTunes. That is a huge help. Thank you so much for listening. So what is the craziest thing that ever happened in the middle of a show? Oh man, I, I honestly I think it's probably the time that I like nearly peed my pants on stage <laughs> in front of a room full of people. Oh man, okay, you got to tell me this story. To hear the rest of the story and get additional creative inspiration, visit storygatherings.com/podcast. This episode was produced by Harris III. It was mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and music was written by Aaron Farmer. The Story Podcast is a production of Astoria Collective. Thank you for listening.